I want to uh, also mention to you that if uh, our young people in our church, there's a box somewhere, I don't know where it is, it may be sitting back there, I think on the table or whatever, but on that box, if you want to bring, if you want to send Christmas cards to people in the church, uh, you can uh, bring those Christmas cards here, put them in the box, then our young people will take those Christmas cards out of that box and they will distribute it through. Because what the problem that we've had in the past is we've had a table and just laid them on. But when Christmas was over with, we had so many just left over that everybody didn't get. So we will, the young people will distribute those to you if you, uh, if you want to pass those out for you. So if you'll do that. Well, um, uh, was there something else I needed? Oh, uh, no, not now. Okay. Um, I want you to turn with me, if you will, as the, uh, the, um, in the book of Matthew, chapter 1. And we're still on this Christmas theme and... And uh, my message today is I want you to have a Merry Christmas. So I'm saying that to you this morning. Have a Merry Christmas, okay? So I want you to do that. So uh, but turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, uh, verse 18, verse 25. And let's read this as you want to follow along. If you have your Bible, you can follow along, which I hope you do. If you do not have your Bible, then you can follow along on the screen because we'll put it up there. Uh, and so uh, just follow along with me. Starting with verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth her son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. For all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord uh, commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. I want to read one more verse, and that's found over in Matthew, same chapter 1, but I want to go back a little bit to verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, how I need you this morning. Uh, there are those that are depending, uh, looking for answers. There are those that need something that would just cheer them up, something that would help them in some ways. And Lord, I, I can think of nothing any greater than the Lord speaking to us. So Lord, I pray simply that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength, you're our redemption, you're our everything. Lord, we can't do this without you. So, Lord, I just simply pray that you be with us today. Watch over us, Father, I pray, and meet our needs. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, in this time of year that we hear that expression, Merry Christmas, even though I will say, I think that sort of went by the wayside that, that people were afraid to say Merry Christmas because of the name Christ in it. A lot of places, and they wanted, a lot of places want to say Happy Holidays or something. I look at them straight, straight in the face and tell them, the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you. They don't know what to do with that. But anyway, 
I hear the expression a lot, Merry Christmas. But my question is for you this Christmas, uh, and being honest, will this be a Merry Christmas for you? Will this be a Merry Christmas for you? Have you ever said that, that to someone and they looked at you like they were ready just to slap you? Say Merry Christmas and they looked at you like they were angry because you said it. Here's the thing. Whether or not we have a Merry Christmas or not is determined by you. It's determined by you. Now I know there are some of you here that are going through a tough time. And there are some people here that are going through for the first Christmas they're going to be without their loved one or without that person. And I know that's, that's, that's a different situation. That is a, that is a tough time. But I would simply say to you that, you know, the Bible, one of the verses of Scripture I would tell you just get in your heart and soul is the Word tells us this. It tells us that I reckon that the suffering of this present time, what you're going through right now, we cannot compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. And I want you to get in your mind a picture of being with those people again. Because I believe with everything. We had a funeral in here yesterday. Uh, and uh, I believe with all my heart and soul that when you, if you know Jesus, you're going to be with your loved ones again. And, and you know, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus went to the cross for the joy of it. Now, he didn't go to the joy of being beat to death and crucified. No, he went to the joy because he knew that day was coming when we're going to meet with our people that we love and we care about so much. That day when we're going to be rejoicing. And that's what I hope this Christmas that you will see that. But there's some folks that, you know, that are going to not have a good Christmas. And that Christmas is not going to be a good Christmas because it's determined by you. You'd think this time of year you'd be the most joyous and festive time, just full of happiness. But for many Christ Christmases, they have all, or Christians, they've already determined that the Grinch has stolen it. And the good news is that we have a choice. We can either allow the things around us to rob us of joy or peace, or we can determine that they're not going to do that to us. Or we can choose to affect those things around us and not allow them to steal our joy. I remember a terrible time in my life, and I, I determined it to, uh, to be, I, I was determining, I was going through all kinds of stuff, and I was determining to be a great father to my children. I never will forget this. And I was going to, you know, I couldn't do other things, but I was going to be a great dad. I was going to be a great father of my children. And then it, and all of a sudden the realization came to me, in order for me to be the father that I needed to be, I, I couldn't be always down and grumpy. And that's who I was. I was down and grumpy. And I think it carried over to my kids. And I, I didn't want that. So that had to change. So where's the problem? Well, you say, it's my husband if he would only do what I ask him to do. You know? All he wants to do is sit at home and, and watch the boob tube. Well, let me tell you something. I, I need to hook you up with some ladies that would give anything that their husband would be home. Amen? Sometimes we, we're not thankful for the very things that are right in front of us. Well, it's my wife. If only she, that's what it is. Or it's my boss. If, or it's my job. Or it's my circumstance. It's, it's the economy. Or it's Washington, D.C. I, I watch too much CNN or Fox or whatever it is. I watch all this stuff and I'm just depressed as a result. But that's not the source of our problem. And I want you to realize that. We were driving back from Pennsylvania uh, through a few years ago. And we'd gone up to see Dennis sitting back there. We'd gone up to Hershey. And we came back and we are going through West Virginia. And we passed, we was a four-lane highway, and we passed this guy on this road. A four-lane became a two-lane. We passed him. Well, he passes us again. And then after he passes us, he gets in front of us and slows down. I mean, he slows down to like, I mean, I'm talking about 10, 15 miles an hour. 
And so I speed up, go past him. He speeds up, won't let me pass him. I get back behind him, he slows down again. Now, let me tell you, you know, you, you say, well, you calmly, what did you calmly do? I'll tell you what I calmly did. <laughs> this, right Reverend Lee Cruz, the anger rolled up inside me, and you know what I wanted to do with cricket was saying, get away from him, get away from him, get away from him. But what I was thinking of, I really, what I really want to do out of my flesh, I wanted to pull up beside of him and give him what's called the Hawaiian hello, you know? <laughs> and then I got to thinking about it. Where in the world does that come from? And you know exactly where it comes from. It's in every one of us. That's where it comes from. It comes from, it comes from those things. You, you see, you really you, you want to know where the problem is. Well, here's the problem that most of us have. Just look in the mirror. That's all you got to do. Just look in, the, look in the mirror and you'll see where the problem is. And if you go back to Matthew 1, 21 again and look carefully at the words that the angel said to Joseph. Look what he said. And she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Not saved from an unjust society, not saved from your family or others, not saved from, uh, from, no, but saved from your sins. You see, the humanists will tell you that mankind is good. That they're basically, we're just good people, we just, you know, whatever. And then they'll go on and say, say, okay, if mankind is good, then where's all the evil and everything? Well, that's society. I don't know about you, but I thought a long time ago that society was made up of people. That just doesn't make sense. No, that's not what the Bible says. You know, and, and what, the, what, the, what the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, and look what it says. It says, there's none good, it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. That's who we are. That's why Jesus had to come into this world. He came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost, but he came to save us from our sins. Jesus saves the angel was saying to Joseph at that time, and Joseph was going through a hard time. Can you imagine what he felt? I mean, he found the love of his life. He's going to get married, and now she comes to him, and she tells him that she is pregnant, and, she is, and she's pregnant, and it's not his baby. And then she goes on and tells him that, he tells him that, that the baby that she's going to have is not by a man, but by the Holy Spirit inside of her. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Joseph in that time, I'd have a hard time with that. And probably what Joseph probably began to think was one of the reasons the Bible says he was a righteous man and determined to put her away privately, not because really what could have happened, he could have had her taken her out and had her stoned. He didn't want to do that. He loved her. But when he got to thinking about it, you know, I wonder if he didn't think, well, she's a little crazy. The Holy Spirit caused you to have, a, have this child. And then all of a sudden, while he's thinking on these things, the angel of the Lord comes to him and begins to speak to him and tells him that what she has said to him is really true and what has happened to Mary is of the Holy Spirit. I think the angel really was trying to get Joseph to come to the place. And I don't know about you when you're going through things and you're going through a lot of problems in your life and you're going through a quagmire of circumstances that just 
that just is just blowing you away and you just don't know how to handle it. And I wonder if that angel in talking to Joseph didn't say this to him, didn't say to him, Joseph, this is greater than you. This is greater than your problems. And sometimes when we're going through things and, man, we're having a hard time trying to understand and we're having a hard time getting through it and all the things that happened, maybe we prayed about it and it didn't work out and other things that happened. But sometimes the Lord allows us to go through something where that the world will see that our devotion to Him is greater than the circumstances we're going through. Are you listening to me? So I'm saying to you that sometimes when we've got to go through something, sometimes the Lord will allow it. He never causes it. Jesus said, I came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. But the enemy came to kill, maim, and destroy. But sometimes the Lord puts us in circumstances and we go through things where that those around us in the world will see, will see that the devotion that we have to Him is greater than what we're going through. And they're going to step back and they're going to look at that and they're going to say, man, what manner of person is? That's what they saw in Jesus. What, what, how, can this per, how can this person go through it when the Bible tells us that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your soul? That's not something you work up or something you do. That's something the Holy Spirit does inside you. What you see in it, that's why the Bible says over in the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, let your moderation be known to all men. And it's in, in the NIV, in other words, it's, it's, it says your gentleness. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time when I'm going through things like Joseph went through. I'm having a hard time going through that I'm very a gentle person. Cricket probably tell you the last person she wants to be around when I'm going through something is me. I want to kick the dog. Of course, I don't kick the dog anymore. I kick this dog now. He'll bite me. But, uh, you know, he's a bulldog. But anyway, but so, so, so I'm saying simply, you know, I, I want to I do all kinds of, I, I don't, I, you know, and I've thought about this so much. Lord, help me to be civil. Help me to demonstrate your presence in my life when the bottom's falling out. Lord, help me that when the day comes that you decide that you want to take me home, Lord, help me to die through it. To die well. That, that the world can see my devotion to him and the circumstance that I'm going through. You know, and it makes the world to see how... And what we do when we do that, we make the world to see how valuable a relationship is to Christ. That's what happened in those, those people that were being martyred, burned at the stake. People saw that. They saw that in them. So... You know, it's, you know, and so it's, he reads this and he says, Jesus saves. He will save his people from their sin. Jesus will. And Joseph would have recognized that because he would have recognized the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word uh, Yahweh, Yahweh, he would have recognized that. And Yahshua is shortening for the word Yahshua, and which means Yahweh saves. He would have recognized that. Now, Psalms 91, verse 16, the last verse in Psalms 91, 16 says this. It says, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And the word here for salvation is the same word of, of, that we just used here, the word Yahshua. It's the same word. It's the same word for Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. It's the same one, Yahshua. 
I never will forget, years ago, I used to visit a lady, and I visited her every week, and her name was Iva Stewart. I visited with her every other week. And I would go and I would visit with her, and Iva lived to be 104 years old. And every night she'd listen to the Cincinnati Reds. And I'd go in and I'd ask her, I said, Iva, how's the Reds doing? Oh, they suck. That's what she'd tell me. I'm serious. She was a character. But she would go in and she could not see. She was blind. And she would look at me and she would say to me, she'd say this, she says, Lee, why does it the world, why doesn't the Lord, say, I am 104 years old, why didn't the Lord just take me home? Why didn't he just take me out of here? Just take me on home. I can't see. And, and, and I didn't really know how to answer her. And then one day, I'm going down the road, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit and the Lord spoke to me. And, and, I, and, and here comes this verse, Psalms 91, uh, here, the, the 16. And I will show him my, with long life, I will say, boy, she'd been satisfied with long life. And I will show you my salvation. So she understood that. And so as a result of that, I, boy, it hit me. That, and, and I went back to her, and I said, Miss Ivy, you've been asking me why the Lord keeps you around. And I said, here's what I want to show you. I said, look at this verse. And I said, the very reason he's keeping you around is because of the ministry you have through Jesus Christ. And she said, Lee, I don't have any. I said, Miss Ivy. I said, how many people have died in your room? Because at that time, it was the old Clark County Hospital. They had two beds. And I think she had about five or six roommates that would die. And she would minister to them and minister to their family. And there wasn't a time I went in her room and I said, uh, and she'd say, Lee, I need to talk to you. I said, there's a little nurse here. She's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. I need you to go talk to her. I said, think about this, your ministry. I said, God's keeping you around because you're demonstrating and you're showing Jesus in your life. You want to live a long time? Then let me tell you what to do. Let Jesus shine forth from your life and you will. That's where it is. So, you know, you see, Jesus came to save us from ourselves. Because the number one problem that we all have is ourselves. The only people that Jesus had problems with were those who were either self-sufficient or those who were so self-centered because they saw no need of a Savior. That's why he said, they that are whole need not the physician. Yet the Bible says that there must be a death in us. There's got to come a time that I take myself and I crucify. You remember Jesus telling us, except a man take up his cross and follow us daily. Well, let me tell you something, what he's talking about. It means I've got to die on a daily basis to follow him. I'm not, he's not talking about salvation there. Yeah, we've got to die first and, and repent and come to him. But after that, I've got to die daily. And the problem is, according to the, what the word says over in 2 Corinthians, uh, first, uh, it's Romans 12, it says, I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. But the first part of that says that we, a living sacrifice. What's a living sacrifice? I can get up and get off that cross. That's what it means. But let me tell you something. When you and I get up and we get off that cross and we don't follow him daily and we don't try to deny ourselves and we don't die to ourselves, the Bible says over in the book of Romans, reckon yourself dead unto sin but alive unto God. When I don't do that, that's when the problems come. That's when I don't have the joy. That's when I don't have the peace. That's when I begin to have guilt in my life, even though the Bible says that there's therefore now no more condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. That's when all those things start happening. 
And so Romans 6, 11 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead and did to sin, but alive unto God was Christ Jesus our Lord. And to reckon, and to reckon means that when Jesus died, you died. See, I was trying to die. I was sitting around. Every book I picked up said, reckon yourself dead. And it's an accounting term. And I'd go around, reckon, 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 reckon. I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, dead, dead. And, and finally, I wasn't I wouldn't doing very good at it. And I told the Lord one night, I said, Lord, I, you know, I, if I was a dead person, I wouldn't be fighting some of these things. And, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and say to me, you are dead. See, when you come to Christ, you die because he died. When he rose, you rose. When he ascended, you ascended. Where you're, where you're seated in the right hand of God, is where the Bible says. He's at the right hand of God. But you've been seated in the heavenlies. We're already dead. But the revelation's got to happen in our head, from our head down to our heart that says to us, I'm dead. Sin no longer has power over me. I was talking to some people after class. I'm, I'm doing stuff here today. I didn't count them. After class, Romans, 47 times in the book of Romans, the word, the word sin is used. Excuse me, 48 times in the book of Romans, sin is used. 48 times. And only one time it's used as a verb. What's a verb? It's an action word. That's something you do. But 47 times it uses a noun. You and I have been delivered from the place of sin. We've not been delivered from the action of sin. Understand? Because the place of sin produces the action of sin. Oh, man, I'm getting into stuff I don't want to get into. All right, so, so, so Paul wrote in Romans 7, 15, for, he said this, he, and this is the problem. He said, for what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But I, what I hate, that I do. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody here in here that's been there, brother? I've been there before, Amen. The very things I set my mind I'm going to do, I don't do. And the very things I know I should not do, whoops, I end up doing those things. Now, some people, the Christians say they make mistakes. <laughs> no, afraid not. But Romans 7, 18, here's what he says in Romans 7, 18. I don't know where, yeah, I get it. For I know that it's in me that it's in my flesh. Now remember what he said, he came to save them from their sins. Knowing that it's in me that it's in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. And one of the, one of the things that, I, that is, is, so then he goes on to write in, in Romans 7, 24, 25. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And then he says, and goes right into Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no more condemnation to those in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the, after the Spirit. It's interesting to me that when Paul is going through this problem that we talked about, this problem of defeat in chapter 7, he uses pronouns, and he uses the pronouns I and me. And throughout chapter 7, he uses them 42 times. That's our problem. We use I and me so much, I and me, I and me, I and me, and I and me. And no wonder we don't do the things we should do, and we end up doing the things we don't want to do. That I and me, I and me. But it's interesting that when he comes over to chapter 8, he no longer uses I and me, but he uses the word spirit 22 times. And the Bible says if we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's the victory that we're all looking for. Jesus came to save you from yourself. 
Who was Jesus? God saves. What did Jesus come to do? God saves. Jesus was not just godly, God-like, God-hungry, God-focused, or God-worshipping. No, he was God. That's who he was. It was the invasion of God on planet Earth that would affect all eternity and every person who ever lived, and it's going to affect you either positively if you come to him or negatively if you don't. God saves. God empathizes, God cares, God listens, God helps, God assists, God applauds. He came not just to save us from politics and enemies and challenges or difficulties. He came to save us from our own selves. Part of the problem is that many come to the place that they believe they couldn't save themselves. And they think that we needed a Savior. And so we came to Him. We couldn't save ourselves. And so we asked Him to save us. But then the devil has convinced too many Christians that after Jesus saves us, we're on our own. And we think even if we won't admit it, you live the Christian life in your strength. Even though Zacharias 4, 6 says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And let me just say this to you. If you believe that you can be saved today and lost tomorrow, then you're living in fear. You may not agree with me. That's fine. I love you anyway. But if you, don't, if you do not believe, if you, don't believe, if you believe you can be lost, saved today and lost tomorrow, then you're living in fear. And what does the Word say? The Word says perfect love does what? Cast out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. I have come to realize that not only I could not save myself, but I could not live the life either. I needed his life transplanted in me. And the reason is that God has high, has high plans for you and me. The Lord is recruiting for himself a people who will populate heaven. God will restore his planet and his children to the Garden of Eden splendor. It'll be perfect. One word describes heaven, perfect. One word describes us, imperfect. Something's got to change. God's kingdom is perfect, but his children are not. So what does God do? Does he abandon us? Does he start over? He wanted to, you know, that's one of the things. God even told Moses one time, thank God for Moses. He told Moses, get out of my way. I'm going to blow these people away, and we'll start with you. Moses said, no, you're not. He said, I'm going to blow your people. Moses said, my people, they're not my people, Lord. They're your people. That's what he said. God's kingdom is perfect, but his children are not. So does he abandon us? Does he start over? He could have. But the Lord loves you too much. All your sins, he knows about everything. Believe me, he loves you too much. He knows about what happened. He knows who it was. He knows the date and time. I think that's the very reason. I always used to believe that when Jesus rode on the ground that time with a woman that had been caught in the very act of adultery, I think you know, when he was on the ground, he was writing, and all those guys had their rocks ready, going to stone her. And they're asking him. They thought they had him, and Jesus started writing on the ground. I used to believe that he started writing on there, Motel 6, uh, September, you know, whatever. And the guy said, you know, I just remember I got something on the stove. I got to go home. But I don't believe that anymore. What I really believe now when Jesus wrote on the ground, that they say the ground there is the same type of ground that's in Mount Sinai. And Jesus was saying, and what did God do with his finger? He wrote the law with his finger. And God, Jesus was saying at that time, you're telling me you, you, you go against the very one who wrote the law? You're telling me to go against the very one who wrote the law? I think that's what he was saying. But the Lord loves you. He will tolerate us with our sins and populate. But, you know, will, the question begs itself this. Will he tolerate us with our sins? 
nature and populate heaven with rebellious, self-centered citizens? If so, would heaven be heaven? I don't think so. God had a great, you know, you know there's some people don't want to go to heaven. Oh, that's not true. Yes, it is. People don't want to go to heaven. God had a greater plan, Colossians 1.19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Now, let me read this to you out of Amplified. Look at this. For it pleased the Father. He's talking about Jesus. He took everything and put in Jesus. For it pleased the Father for all the fullness of deity, the sum total of his essence, all his perfection, all his powers, all his attributes to dwell permanently in him, the Son. God just crammed it all into Jesus. He put everything he had into Jesus. All the strength of God. All the love of God was in Jesus. All the strength of God was in Jesus. All the compassion of God was in Jesus. All the power was in Jesus. All the devotion was in Jesus. All for the time and earthly body of a carpenter. He put it all in there. Jesus had it all. Is it any wonder the winds obeyed when Jesus spoke? When Jesus touched the wounds, it was God touching. No wonder the water held him as he walked with it, God walking. No wonder the people stood speechless as he taught for it was God teaching. And no wonder 10,000 angels stood unbelievably attention and speechless as Jesus was nailed to the cross for it was God dying. Let people crucify him for goodness sake. He became sin for our sake. What started in Bethlehem's manger culminated in the Jerusalem cross. And if that's not enough, Jesus not only did a work for us, and listen to this, but he did a work in us. Amen? He not only did a work for us, he did a work in us. He did a work in us. The Bible says this is a mystery. According to Colossians 1, 26 and 27, uh, you know, but you know, here's what it says: this mystery, which was hidden from the ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to us. In other words, all those people in the Old Testament did not see it. It was a mystery. They were looking through. They were looking for. They looking through this glass darkly. They could not see it. And when the Bible says First John chapter four. For what? And let me read, go on and read 27, though. Let me read 27. What was the mystery? What is it that they say? To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now, here it comes. This, and, I mean, this is the greatest, one of the greatest things in all eternity. Verses. I'm telling you this. And sometimes I think we hear this verse, and we as Christians sit like this, and we go, Oh, yeah, well, that's nice. You go to other places, and I'm telling you, you tell them this, and man, they're going to be blown away. Listen to what it says. To them God will, go back to that verse, uh, uh, for them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles. And what is it? Here it is. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's hope for you is not that you, not that you try to do a little bit better. It's not that you try to keep some rules and commandments. No. God's hope for you is that you realize that Christ enters in you and that's the hope of glory. Christ working his life out through you is the hope of glory. That's the hope of glory. And so 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Then here's why, if that's the case, then why is it that people don't overcome? I believe because it's still a mystery in our lives. We don't see it. We just have that revelation sitting up here. Even though it's, it's available, we don't do it. You see, what, what Jesus did 
when he came into this world was humble himself. Philippians 2.8 tells us that. He said, and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. He humbled himself. We see that in Luke twenty two forty two, saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me, and nevertheless not my will, but yours be done. Here's the key. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus surrendered. He bowed at the altar of his heavenly Father, and he says, Lord, I surrender my will. And if we're truthful, there's too many of us that have never done that. Oh, we want to be saved. Oh, we want to use Jesus as a fire, as a fire policy. We don't want to go to hell. But have we really bowed at the altar of God and surrendered our life and said, Lord Jesus, I, I want you to run my life. I want to be everything you want me to be. Not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done. So I thought about this. Christ came to save us. But to be in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, then why do we not experience what Jesus experienced? Because it says in 1 John 4, 17, love has been perfected among us in this. And this is my question, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because listen to what 17 says, this last part. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Do you see that? Because as he is, so are we in this world. This is who we are. God looks at us through the blood of Jesus. He never looks at us any other part. So what's the problem? I believe that we've not surrendered to him. It's all available. You know, it's like the guy in Texas that lived in a shack and, and people had to take him food and clothing and everything else. And then, and, and, and then when he finally died, it, the land he lived on, lived on this little shack, belonged to his belonged to his. Uh, his grandparents and great-grandparents on it. He just lived in there and gone along with it. And, and so an oil company came in there and bought that land, and they discovered one of the richest oil deposits in the, in, the, in the history of Texas. And where was he sitting? He was sitting in the shack on top of it. That's where a lot of us are. God has, has called us to unbelievable victory. He's called us to unbelievable joy and peace, and we don't see it. And why don't we see it? Because we refuse, to, we refuse to surrender. Christ came to save us. You know, so what's the problem? I believe we're not surrendered to him. We have we've not died to ourselves. Oh, some have died, done partial surrenders. But they still have one area that they refuse to give to God. I don't know what it is for you. There's one area that God said, give me that. And you said, No. That's mine. I'm going to hang on to it. And he can't bless you. He can't bless you because of that. You know, and I have found that the Lord is, is it's either all or none. Listen to this great promise. If you will but surrender to the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. God wants to exalt you. He wants to exalt you in your home. He wants to exalt you in your business. He wants to exalt you in your, in your thinking. He wants to exalt you in your day by day. He wants to give you such joy and peace. He wants to exalt you. But what you got to do, you got to humble yourself. When we do, the Holy Spirit moves into you, not like a pond or a lake, but like a roaring river that wants to get out. Christ is in you. 
Jesus then commander, commanders your hands and your feet. He requisitions your minds and our tongue. And Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He's talking to you now. He also predestined you to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now listen to that same verse in the message. Bobby's got it up there, and thank you, Bobby, for doing that. He says this, God knew, listen to this, this is what God did. This is what he's doing. God knew that when he was doing what he, uh, what he was doing from the very beginning. He knew what he was doing. He decided from the onset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in line of humanity he restored. We see the original, Jesus, and intended shape of our lives there in him. That's what God wants to do with you. He wants to make you just like Jesus. You say, well, then I could be a star. No, that's not the point. The whole point of it is that you'll be so, you'll be so full of just, uh, you know, life and, and promise. And, and, and man, there's going to be just such a, a, a great... No, does that mean I won't have any more problems? No, it don't mean that. But boy, you're going to know how to handle it. And Satan's going to run from you. The question, will you surrender yourself? When, when this takes place in your life as a believer, Jesus saves you from the guilt of sin. He is now saving you from the problem of sin. And when Jesus comes back to get us in his return, he will save you from the punishment of sin. That's what he's doing. I love 1 John 1, 7. And 1 John 1, 7 says this, and because it, it's progressive. Listen to what this says. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And here's the thing I want you to see. The word cleanses here, is, is progressive. And you know what this means? Here's what it means. It means Jesus has cleansed you. He is cleansing you. And he doesn't cease to cleanse you. Man, that's powerful. That is powerful what, 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 what God is doing. God saved. Jesus did not enter into the world to help us to serve ourselves. He entered into the world to save us from ourselves. You and I need a Savior. And a baby in the manger came to do just that. Now, there's always some who believe that, well... That's great for others, but I'm, 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 just, that's, I'm just helpless. That's not for me. In fact, your holidays seem to be spelled like this, H-O-L-E-D-A-Y-S, holidays. you got holes in it. Now, maybe Christmas is hard for you, and you're, you're looking forward more to December 26th than December 25th. But I want you just for a minute to consider the plight of Mary. She's far from home. Miles away from her family in her own bed. She spent four days riding a burrow on a crowded road, endured winter chills, money was scarce. And if you had asked her which was worse, the pain in her heart or the pain in her back, her heart ache ached for her family. Under normal circumstances, she would be, be thrilled to be here about the pregnancy, but pregnant before the wedding? She tried to explain, but there were skeptics and there were gossipers. And think about this. She had to tell the man that she was to marry that she was carrying a child who was not his. And can we even begin to think what Joseph thought or his heart was broken? But when God sent an angel, I wonder how many times that we've thought when God asks us to do a hard thing and we see it as the end of ourselves and even our reputation. But when we do what he tells us to do, how many times does he work it all out and we're blessed? There are people in here who will tell you that. Maybe you did something and you thought maybe if you confessed it, boy, that would be the end. And you did and you found out God brought, did greater things for you. 
Mary, who is now, because the Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Mary, who is now looked upon as the most blessed of all women. Joseph's heart was broken, and I wonder even if the angel explained to him what was taking place. I wonder if he truly understood. And how about giving birth in a cow stall? Anybody want to volunteer for that? Every mother I had ever met, I don't think they ever desired giving birth in a cow stall in the delivery room. This was not how she'd planned to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I wonder if Joseph didn't apologize, didn't apologize for the accommodations. A husband who truly loves his wife always wants the best for his wife. And I do for cricket. And that's why since we got um, our bulldog, I've apologized more for her than any other time in my life, I believe, that we've been married and all the time, time we've been married. Um, but um, Tobias, uh, I don't know, he's got a mind of his own. But anyway, but I have. I, I remember being in a house years ago, and I, I don't remember why I was there. I don't know whether I was working at that time for Scobies or I was gone there as a minister or whatever, but this lady was really sick, and they would called an ambulance to come. They called me to come, and I was there. House was a poor house. Didn't have much. One of these little shotgun houses. And I never will forget, the woman was laying on the couch, and her husband came in from working. He came, they called him. He came in for off the job. And he was filthy. I mean, his coat was filthy and everything else. I remember that. And I watched as he took his coat off. And he took his coat and he laid it around her. He took this old filthy coat and he laid it around her. And I never will forget how that woman grabbed that coat. She pulled it tight to her. Because that was a sign that he loved her. I wonder if Joseph, when he had to take Mary, I wonder if he didn't apologize and apologize for the accommodations that he had to take her into that, that cave. It wasn't really a stall. We try to make it look a little clean and nice with all the two-by-fours and everything. That wasn't it. They had a stone rock hauled out for her. That was what the manger really was. But it, it, they had, probably had soot and tar hanging down from, from the top of it. Uh, you know, But in that moment, Mary knew it was worth it. In spite of the chaos, Jesus came. In the midst of all the complications, God triumphed. And in your mess, he will do the very same if you allow him to do that. A weary traveler. Your problem, your sin, your calamity, and what you think is your total annihilation of your life will not stop God. Christ came. He came in spite of sin. He came in spite of scandal. Christ came. People forget God, Christ came. He will come again. Luke 2, 7 says, She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Christ came. God uses our struggles to accomplish his will. Our Father in heaven takes all of his children's laundry and hangs it right out there for everybody to see. There's no inhibitions in the kingdom of God. And all you have to do is see it, to see it is look at Jesus' genealogy in Matthew. I know if you're like me, if I did one of those Ancestry.coms and I start finding out some of the people in my family tree, and maybe my family tree doesn't go straight, maybe it forks, I don't know. We probably find some people that we just like, well, don't, don't list them, whatever, you know, whatever. God's not that way. 
David was an adulterer and a murderer. Tamar was a abandoned. Rahab was a harlot. Ruth was an immigrant. Solomon was a philanderer. The family tree of Jesus was a little crooked, but it's just like ours. The Messiah was born not because of his ancestors, but in spite of them. Do you, do you and I ever need a rain reminder? I, in, in your world of short nights and hard work and high stress, don't you need to know that Jesus holds it all together? King David thought about this in his prayer journal. He once was inspired to write in Psalms 11, verse 3. And listen to what he writes there. He says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I'm going to tell you something right now. The foundations are being destroyed, guys. There was a time in this life, I remember back in the 1950s, 1960s, reading a book called Escape from Reason from Francis Schaeffer. And he talked about this time, how that absolutes have gone by the way. This is what's happening in our country today. Absolute truth is gone. And in its place comes relativism and situational ethics, that men do whatever, they do what's right in their own mind. That's the book of Judges. And you get in trouble. This is what the problem is in Washington, D.C. and Frankfurt and every place else. We're trying to do what we think's right rather than doing what the Word of God says. And I will tell you something right now. You don't believe this? Let me tell you. This country was founded in 1776. It's been 240 years since that time. And in the 240 years of naming Supreme Court judges that went in, and we're trying to place judges, and then one of the things I will say about President Trump, he has put people that believe the Word of God in 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 courts and in Supreme Court and everything else. But let me tell you something. Since in 240 years, there have been more no votes on conservative judges than any other time in the last three years than any other time in history. And what does that tell us? That we're trying to shift. We're trying, why do you think we're talking about socialism? Why do you think we're talking about all this other stuff that's going on? Abortion, all this. Because it's no absolute. That's not God's word. Absolute truth, truth really tells us that we, we know where we stand and what to do. His word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against him. And so David writes, if the foundations are destroyed, what can you and I do? What can the righteous do? What can we do? What can, can we come to the place? And, and, you know, when your train runs off the tracks, what can good people do? When the, uh, what is the godly response? Well, listen to the next verse, verse 4 here. Listen to what he says. David came to this conclusion. The Lord, and I want you to hear this today in 2019 in the United States of America. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold his eyelids. Test the sons of men. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his throne. He answers David with a declaration. The Lord is in his holy temple. And when everything shakes, God remains unshaken. He is in his holy temple. God is unaffected by our storms. God has made a business out of turning tragedy into triumph. Is your Christmas a difficult one? Then take heart. God's still in his temple. He's still on his throne. He's still in control. And he still makes princes out of prisoners like Joseph. And he did it for them. And he did it for you. Well, I want to read one more story, and I'll stop. And I'll be true with you. I don't know where this fits in. And I'll tell you what. I don't really care. I just like this story. <laughs> Heard a preacher one time say, you know, said uh, every, 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 every message he preached, he preached on, somehow he preached on baptism. He got baptism in there. 
he's preaching on the uh, second coming of Jesus one time, and he said this. He said, "My, I have three points tonight on the on the uh, second coming of Jesus rapture." He said, first will be the rapture. Second point will be uh, the tribulation, and the third point, and now a word about baptism. So anyway, so that's what he did. So, but I want to read you a story. This, this is a Christmas story, good story, and I'll close it out with this way. And some of you probably heard this before, and I, I cannot get through this story without crying most of the time, and I'm going to try not to do that this time. But this, I love this story. It's the story of Teddy Stoddard at Christmas time. Here it is. As she stood in front of her fifth grade class on the very first day of school, she told the children an untruth. Like most teachers, she looked at her students and said that she loved them all the same. However, that was impossible because there was sitting on the front row slumped in his seat was a little boy named Teddy Stoddard. Miss Thompson had watched Teddy the year before and noticed that he did not play well with the other children. His clothes were messy and that he was constantly needed a bath. In addition, Teddy could be unpleasant. He got to the point where Miss Thompson would actually take delight in marking his papers with a broad red pen, making bold X's, and then putting a big F at the top of his paper. At school, where Mrs. Thompson taught, she, had, she was required to review each child's past records, and she put Teddy off until last. However, when she reviewed his life, she was in for a surprise. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote, Teddy is a bright child with a ready laugh. He does his work neatly and has good manners. He's a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student and well liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother has a terminal illness and life at home must be struggled. His third grade teacher wrote, his mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best. But his father doesn't show much interest, and his home life will soon affect him if someone steps, some, some steps are not taken. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn, doesn't show much interest in school, he doesn't have many friends, and he sometimes sleeps in class. By now, Miss Thompson realized the problem, and she was ashamed of herself. She felt even worse when her students brought her Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright paper, except for Teddy's. His present was clumsily wrapped in a heavy brown paper that he got from a grocery bag. Miss Thompson took pains to open it in the middle of the other presents. Some, some, of the, some of the children started to laugh when she found a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a bottle that was one quarter full of perfume. But she stifled the children's laughter when she exclaimed uh, how pretty the bracelet was putting it on and dabbing some of the perfume on her wrist. Teddy Stoddard stayed after school that day just long enough to say, Miss Thompson, today you smell just like my mom used to. And the children, here I go. And the children left. And she cried for at least an hour. On the very day she quit teaching reading, writing, and math arithmetic, instead she began to teach children. Miss Thompson paid particular attention to Teddy. As she, she worked with him, his mind seemed to come alive. She, the more she encouraged him, the faster he responded. By the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in the class. And despite her lie that she would love all the children the same, God, quit this thing. Teddy became one of her teacher's pets. A year later, she found a note under her door from Teddy telling her that he was she was still the best teacher he'd ever had in his whole life. Six years later went by before she got another note from Teddy 
and she wrote, uh, she wrote that he had finished high school, third grade, uh, third, third in his class, and, he, she, and she was still the best teacher he'd ever had in life. Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he'd stayed in school, had stuck, stuck with it, and would soon graduate from college with the highest of honors. He assured Miss Thompson that she was still the best and favorite teacher he'd ever had in his whole life. Then four more years passed, and yet another letter came. This time, he explained, after he had got his bachelor's degree, he decided to go a little farther. The letter explained that he was, she was still the best favorite teacher he'd ever had, but now his name was a little longer. The letter signed Theodore F. Stoddard, M.D. M.D. The story does not end there. You see, there is yet another letter that spring. Teddy said he'd met the girl that he was going to marry. He explained that her father had died a couple of years ago, and he was wondering if Miss Thompson might agree to sit at the wedding in the place that was usually reserved. I might have to have somebody else come up here. Mother of this groom. Of course, Miss Thompson did. And guess what? She wore that bracelet one with the several rhinestones missing. Moreover, she made sure she was wearing the perfume that Teddy remembered his mother wearing on their last Christmas together. They hugged each other, and Dr. Stoddard whispered in Miss Thompson's ear, Thank you, Miss Thompson, for believing in me. Thank you so much for making me feel important and showing me that I could make a difference. Miss Thompson, with tears in her eyes, whispered back, she said, Teddy, you have it all wrong. You were the one that taught me that I could, but I could God, make a difference. I didn't know how to teach until I met you. For you don't, you, you know that the, for you that know Teddy Stoddard is a doctor at Iowa Methodist Hospital in Des Moines that has a Stoddard cancer wing. Warm somebody's heart today. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to do something in your life that's just so magnificent that it will spill out into the lives of other people. That's what he wants to do. And that's my prayer for you to have a, one of the best Christmases that you ever had. Merry Christmas. Now I want you to have a Merry Christmas. Today, what a great place this would be to start. If you've never surrendered your life, if you've never, maybe... Maybe you've never you've never come. Maybe you've been in church, done a lot of things, but you've never come to Jesus. I've had people come and talk to me. Lee, I've never come after after years sitting in church. I never I've never been saved. Oh, come this morning and be saved. What a great Christmas that would be. The angels in heaven will rejoice. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you're already a Christian. Maybe you know the Lord, but there's some things He's been putting His finger on in your life. And he's been saying to you, you need to give that to me so, we can, so I can help you. And you've, you've not surrendered that. Maybe this morning would be a great time that you come and surrender that to him. I want to see every one of you in heaven one of these days. I don't want anybody to be missing. I'll be, you know, I know where you sit in this building, even though some of you try to fool me and move around. But I know where you sit, and I know when I get to heaven, I'm going to be looking for you. Amen. We're going to have a verse of invitation, and I hope that you'll come this morning. And may the Lord uh, speak to you this morning in that way.